Good evening, everyone, and welcome to ADD Moto Live number 14, Transamerica Trail. No route in America has drawn as much attention, speculation, and dreamers as the Transamerica Trail, also called the TAT. It's on the must-do list for many ADV riders around the world, offering not only dramatic landscapes and off-roading, but also an incredible chance to understand non-interstate America. Can I do it? How much time do I need? Bring your questions and find out on this episode of ADV Moto Live. But first, before we start, we have a really sweet piece of news for everyone. Uh, we would like to say <laughs> that uh, uh, Honda today officially announced the Honda Trail 125 will be coming to the United States uh, by around November. Uh, this is amazing news for a lot of people. Just speaking with our guests, uh, I know that they are super pumped about it. We'll talk more about that later. But... It sports a 125cc fuel-injected motor turning 17-inch wheels with ABS braking, and we cannot wait to get in the saddle. It's not only suited to dirt trails, uh, but there's a host of features which actually make a bike like the Trail 125 suitable for everything, for people who live downtown, to people who live on farms, uh, to people who live in small communities or want to travel across the United States uh, off-road. At 259 pounds with a clutchless transmission and oversized rack, uh, this little whip is going to come in at around $3,900 new, count around $4,000 uh, after all of the fun dealer stuff. But we cannot help but wonder how this would do on the TAT. We will be following this bike very closely, so please stay tuned to ADV Moto for more news on this. All right, and now on with the show. Our guests tonight have an amazing range of backgrounds and uh, experiences ranging from uh, journalism, uh, aviation, international racing, and product development for cutting-edge companies like Rally Raid. Having completed a YouTube series called Western Tattenback that everybody needs to check out, please welcome Jenny Morgan and Juan Brown. Hey, Carl, can you hear us now? Can you see us now? Oh, we can see and hear you guys. <laughs> Lovely. Love you to on see. location in the hangar. Though. That's right, in the hangar with the mighty Luscom. Those of you familiar with the Blanco Lirio channel and the two CB five hundred Xs. Oh, yo, yo. So, what's this background with bikes and aviation? I mean, you know, what do you right. have behind is, you back there? <laughs> this is uh, the Studio Two B from the Blanco Lirio channel. The hangar here at the local airport, top secret location here in Northern California, <laughs> uh, the home of the Luscom and a whole bunch of host of motorcycles here. I can open up the used bike shop. I got to sell a couple used bikes today on your show because I got to tell you, I am fired up. I want not one, but two of those 125s. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is just fantastic news. We've been, they've been keeping us in the dark all this time. I got my, I am waiting list number one on our, at our local Honda dealer to get a hold of one of these CT 125s. <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait till these things hit it. I mean, you know, small bikes have so much potential and, I think now, um, you know, historically, I'd say maybe 20 years ago in American riding culture, it probably wouldn't have had as much of a warm reception as I think it will today. And I'm very happy to see that. Yeah, I think the pendulum is very much swinging the other way. And we can talk about that, you know, as the show progresses about the size bikes. Thanks we for her. An attack. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, like you say, these big 1200cc adventure bikes are wonderful cross-country machines. But you want to start tackling tough terrain off-road, you have to be a very, very confident and capable rider to, to manhandle that whereas something like the trail trail 125 is you know anybody can just jump on it and, and go exploring it's going to be so cool yeah 
Yeah, it'll be it'll, it'll be fantastic. So, can you guys give us a bit of background on on, on how you met uh, and you know how you got started uh, into the world of ADV? Granny glasses off no, now. Oh my God. Anything. Well, you don't need to see; they can see you. Uh, okay. Um, well, so I met uh, her all through the internet, and it was because yes. of your postings on um, ADV Rider regarding the development of the CB five hundred X. Because we're all, um, I'm only five and a half feet tall, so I've been searching around for a smaller adventure bike, a unicorn bike. When I saw the development of this and your postings and how well thought out they were and how well you worded everything, I just thought, this is amazing. I got to find out all about this. So I ended up buying you first, the, first kit, the first kit here I mean, in the United to, States. To give a little bit of background to people who aren't familiar with my line, I worked with Rally Ray back in uh, tw- end of 2014 uh, to develop what we call the adventure kit for the CB500X, the Honda CB500X. It was an affordable bike. It cost about $5,500 when it was launched. Uh, but it was very much a street-orientated adventure style bike. But we felt that, or I felt, having ridden it, it had some really great attributes. Um, it just needed slightly more off-road ability uh a 17 and 19 inch front wheel wheel set longer travel suspension better quality suspension and then it would be a really capable all-terrain and and by that i mean off-road and on-road bike so i worked with rally raid in the uk to develop that kit and as Juan says, he followed the progress of that online. We kind of blogged about it while we were developing it because everybody who already owned the bike said, we love it. We just wish it was a bit better off-road. And subsequently, since we launched the kit, Juan bought the kit and started his YouTube channel off the back of that very much, mm-hmm, right. people have now actually gone out and bought that bike specifically to put the Rally Raid kit on it as well because it suits suits their needs. You know, they don't need a 500 plus pound heavy duty, heavyweight, uneconomic machine. Um, and very much that the Transamerica Trail was my, I always had the Transamerica Trail in the back of my mind when developing this bike. I used to ride a Yamaha XT660 Tenere, um, the one that you never got in the United States. Uh, although I brought one over in 2008 and rode the Transamerica Trail on that bike the first time I rode the TAC. Uh, and so I always had that in the back of my mind is to basically create a two-cylinder version of that bike that would be really good on the road and really good on the trail and the back roads and used exactly for exploring like we do on the Transamerica Trail. Right on, right mm. on. So how did you guys both, you know, like decide to work on these projects together? You know, I mean, you guys, uh, you know, well, we got together a couple videos and- for that ride down to Overland Expo. Uh, That's right. Remember? That's the first yep. time we actually mm-hmm. met physically. We'd, we'd swap messages online because Juan had built his bike up. And then I put together um, a, a kind of informal group ride with uh, Harold from Giant Loop, uh, the luggage company. He's based up in Oregon. He's a good friend of mine. And we kind of got a bunch of about half a dozen of us together. And we spent a week riding a mix of roads and trails all, all the way from Oregon down to Overland Expo in Arizona and then back again. And we came through, you know, southern Utah and, you know, rode some really cool trails together. And we, you know, we hit it off. We had a great time over that kind of couple of weeks it took us to get there and back and so ever since we've 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 kind of hooked up and done a a number of challenges or trips Uh, perhaps most memorable was when at the end of 2016 we did the rubicon trail the the famous jeep trail here in in northern california and i rode my cb500x and juan rode my xt Zero, two, two, five, two, zero. as a bit as, of a publicity a stunt, yeah, yeah for the but we did it, it took us 11 hours to do it <laughs> yeah. but i got the cb 300 uh, cb 500 all the way through the rubicon which uh you know it was tough going oh, you can see that too <laughs> yeah that's on that's on the <laughs> <Langoliers channel. laughs> 
Yeah, you know, for for a, a lot of folks that that haven't watched their their, their stuff, um, yeah, you need to check out. Their, we'll, we'll put it up at the end of the show. But they've really recorded a lot of these things and and actually shown uh, very very much in first person what it's like to sure. uh, to uh, to do these. And 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 I know it's inspirational for you know a lot of people. So Thanks. you've done a lot of of you know various forms of writing. You know, uh, you you've done the tat. Now, Juan, have you done the tat all the way across, or is it or or, or mostly just done it a whole bunch of times in the Western sections? Uh, I've dabbled with a bunch of the Western section, kind of passed through it. I'm real familiar with Idaho, Idaho single track trails, a little bit of the tour of Idaho and some of that that's going on up there. But no, I've never done this Trans-America Trail before. And just this summer, I had that perfect mix of time, money, and good health, time off from work, and good health to to jump on this yeah. on this tour that we did. 30 days, 6,500 miles, and it was basically the western tat and back, the western half of the Trans-American Trail out and back. And it corresponded with the uh, ACCA Awards, the Aviation Content Creator Awards. Uh, mm -hmm. It was cool. happening in Wichita, Yeah, so Kansas. we had a destination in the middle of the country to go to. Mm -hmm. and, and rather than Juan fly over there, which he'd probably have done in his plane, hopped across the country, you know, over a series oh, of days. Oh, it would just about as long yeah. because of the weather. Juan actually pitched the idea because he'd never ridden in Colorado. And like you always say, yeah. you when you fly to... Bucket list. Yeah. yeah, as an airline pilot, that's my day job. Airline pilot for um, your choice of bankrupt care years and uh, I've been flying across this country at 35,000 feet for 20 years and so much of the country especially over Colorado in the fall at 35,000 feet you can see it just how stunning that terrain looks from up there but I've never seen it on the ground until this trip and it was just absolutely a, a real bucket list item for me and for anybody to do but for an airline pilot that's been looking at this all his life from 35,000 feet to see it for the first time in, in yeah. on the ground. It's just amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's a very different perspective. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what we, so what we elected to do and what I've done, I mean, I've ridden the chat now three times pretty much, uh, yeah. twice consecutively and once in two halves because of the time of year that I did it. So, and, and the tat route, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, with a, a sort of more of a Q and A format, if you like, um, is, is, has evolved over the years. So the routes changed or the route because we're in America. The route has changed uh, over the years, and uh, and so, but that doesn't mean that the trails aren't still there. Some of them may be washed out. Some of them may have been lost to, to uh, private property and things like that. But generally speaking, um, the Sam Carrero, who who developed the, the Trans America Trail twenty five or more years ago, in fact. I think he's been doing it ever since he was, you know, middle aged and he's, he was 80 last year. Can you believe it? And he's still out there riding, although he tends to ride on a, on a UTV now rather than a, a motorcycle. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, it's evolved. So what we were able to do is use my knowledge of the tap from over the last kind of dozen years to put together our own version, taking in the highlights, the best of the best, best of the current route, and also some of the previous route that went through Nevada. Um, and obviously, depending on the time of year, uh, you, you know, you, you have to be aware that, that the climate can vary considerably when you ride from one side of the country to the other. So you have to be aware, and particularly we were doing it in July. It was over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in Utah. It, in fact, even up in, in Idaho, it was still in the high 90s. Um, wow. So it was hot, hot weather for, for, you know, getting physical on a big, big trail bike on, on, on some of that terrain. Um, but what we tried to do, as I say, was create a series of uh, join all the best bits or what I consider the best bits together um, to give Juan a good taster and also to give his YouTube channel a real a real good flavor of what the chat uh, involves for people. 
Awesome, awesome. So, so you've you've kind of pulled all these together. Did you have any memorable moments? Uh, <laughs> you know, on you know, on some of your favorite sections. I mean, there, were there any moments that kind of stood out where you were kind of really pushed or frustrated, and then? Uh, there were a couple. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I ought to say that the one, the, the 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 sections that were really physically challenging, and which were up at ten or twelve thousand feet, pushing these bikes. I mean, these are still relatively lightweight bikes, but they're still not like riding a a two fifty cc enduro bike. You know, it's a, they're they're a heavy old bike to manhandle on the trail. Once the thing's rolling, it's lovely, but if you've got to move it around and, and get physical with it, it does take your breath away. But we were we were on trails that were. Right. The only hard parts, yeah. The only really physically demanding and hard parts were the parts where we deviated, deviated off the of the Trans America Trail and and uh, picked up some other yeah. trails. I mean, the, the TAT has been designed for most people with a degree. I wouldn't say it's for an utter dirt novice, but for someone who's ridden their adventure bike on unsurfaced roads and trails, it's perfectly doable for want of a better word there are certain sections though that are uh slightly more challenging and depending on what bike you've chosen if you're on a big heavy bike and you're not very very comfortable with riding that sort of machine uh, it may look a bit intimidating um and conversely if you're on a, a little tiny lightweight bike um there are certain sections that are fast open going and there are some sections that are paved they tend to be minor roads they're not interstates or anything but you know you've got to kind of choose it, because it's so diverse the whole trip it, it inevitably there has to be a de degree of compromise and you need to choose where that compromise is with the amount of luggage you carry the bike that you take and how much experience you've got but the route is only a suggestion if something is uh, too technical for you or too challenging for you or you've just had enough there's nothing to stop you taking a bypass and then picking up the route a bit further along the trail you know the following day yeah, use your head with the weather if it's yeah. all mudded out man yeah. just skip just get it. onto yeah. the pavement if it's raining there's plenty more dirt ahead and particularly if you if you start a lot of people like to start around uh april or may end of april early may that's really too soon if you want to go through all of those high passes uh in colorado because you're you're going over passes over twelve thousand feet so yeah the snow is really not gone much before the beginning of july there which is part of the reason we went through in july but conversely of course yeah there was snow, snow in pockets but then conversely of course in july as soon as you get into Utah and into Nevada or up into Idaho, it's it's 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So you really have to be prepared for some quite uh, extreme, extreme changes in, ele in elevation and in um, and in weather. So you need to be reasonably, I would say, you know, bike fit certainly, but also healthy. You know, if you're uh, if if you have you know chest problems or you know breathing problems, you do need to be wary that you know you are up at much higher elevation than than most of us who live at sea level are used to. We're awesome. So now, how would you suggest you know someone select the bike that's right? Uh, the best bike is well. She's going to tell you it's the bike you got, and she's right. I would say the most popular bike that I saw out there on the trail was the venerable old KLR 650. I saw right. more of those than any other bike out there. So it gives you an idea that you don't really need a, a really high tech bike or anything sure, really special to go do. Yeah, this I, I think what a lot of people get confused with the tap before they do a little bit of research about it is that it's not some hardcore single track trail from one side of the country to another i mean you possibly unless you were 
a Dakar rider, if you were super fit, you would still get exhausted trying to ride 5,000 miles of <laughs> single track. You know, yeah. it would take you months. It, it's, it'd be unfeasible. So the idea, but what you, so your priority is less about outright off-road performance and more about durability, reliability, and comfort in as much as you don't want, the, you don't want to be fighting the bike. You know, if you're on a board thin sea and you're getting wind blasted and you, you, you're, you're fatigued, because you've got to remember you're riding for typically at least a month to, to, to oh. do the complete trail in one hit. And a lot of people, as the trail has extended over the years, perhaps split it into two or even three sections because they, they can't possibly take a whole month off work. But if you are in the fortunate position to be able to ride the whole thing consecutively, you have to keep in mind that by the time you're halfway or two thirds of the way through the, 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 the month, you're gonna, you've been on that bike every day for probably at least 200 miles a day. So that's 10 to 12 hours a day yeah. of riding. Yeah. And you're going to eat, it's, sleep and ride. And you get into that rhythm and it's really do, cool. You do. Yeah. After about a week, you kind of, it becomes second nature to mm -hmm. you and, it, and it's good. But obviously we are both experienced on doing shorter trips. So we were just effectively repeating our week-long trip mm. over a series of four weeks. And that's how you train up how to do it. Don't mm. start out with a monster trip at first. Sure. Start out with an overnighter, a two-nighter, two three-nighter, and get used to traveling on your bike. Yeah, and, and shaking down your equipment as well. Mm -hmm. and, and what you'll probably find is is you need a lot less stuff with you. Because yes. you've got to remember that if you're doing the tap, most people are still getting on their bike every day and doing another couple of hundred miles. You know, I mean, yes, if you have got an, an, uh, a more relaxed time frame and you do want to spend a bit of time uh, away from the bike and away from the trail sightseeing and things obviously you may need uh, more clothes and things but effectively you're riding your your you're wearing your riding gear, gear all day, day yeah you know so you, so really you just clothes. need fresh underwear something to keep yourself clean something to to cook a meal or and i mean this to be honest there's plenty of you know you're not riding yeah, across don't the, bring the kitchen the sink you're not going to yeah. be cooking big meals i mean just a coffee or oatmeal or something real simple tell yeah. them the, the yeah. basic routine well, about I, well i always say that if you remember that on a motorcycle if you're riding two or three hundred miles a day on, on the dirt roads you're pretty much filling your bike up every day so, and any and certainly in this country anywhere that you can buy fuel you can buy you can top up with water and you can buy something to eat it may not be exactly what you want to eat um it's the best but, stuff on earth and gas station cuisine ham and cheese sandwiches yeah. <laughs> but, but but also and i mean this is this is the thing and sam as i say sam carrera who who originally designed the the, the tat and has developed it continued to develop it over the years make sure that every so often you dip into a town to get fuel if you're the sort of rider who would rather have a night in a hotel and we both i mean we probably stayed in hotels four or five six times maybe in, in total mm, yeah. over this yeah. trip um, I mean, we enjoyed camping. It was a perfect time of year to do it. And we love to find a little wild dispersed camp spot up in the forest somewhere and, and wake up in the morning with incredible views. Nothing like that, you know. Um, but but equally, it's nice to, to take to, a break. Yeah, you need to take a break. Have a shower, do yeah. some laundry, have a, a nice night in bed, eat in a restaurant, for example. So our format would be very much that um, what we would tend to do is, is try and eat sometime in the middle of the day at a restaurant when we'd stopped off for fuel. And then perhaps towards the end of the day, top off the fuel again, uh, if it was appropriate buy some groceries that we could have a snack in the evening and then something for breakfast and we'd get things like meat and cheese and salami stuff we'd basically just eat overnight and then haul our trash out again the next day drop it off when we when we refueled again and just repeated that cycle which meant you weren't laden down with cooking yeah. facilities but i can appreciate some people want to cook all i would say is that unless you are 
you know, not on a any kind of time schedule, you know, setting up and packing down a camp kitchen every night, unless there's a bigger, bigger group of you, I can understand it working with a, if there's uh, maybe four, a group of four or more of you. Man, but I would say a group of two is about perfect. Yeah, I, I think that's right. The other thing you've got to bear in mind is, is yeah, is the dust. And I mean, even with us, we're, we're used to riding together. So we would ride just uh, on each other's quarter a lot of the time to try and stay out of that dust. Yeah. But again, if you're riding in a group of riders, which is fun, you know, it's a very different dynamic, but you do end up eating a lot of dust. So you've got okay. to keep in mind, keeping your air filter clean, keeping your face, your nose, everything clean. Yeah. You know, Big separation, okay. man, that dust in Nevada and the whole Western US, you might be a mile apart or, or more. Yeah. Just oh, wow. dust storm. So, so we have a question mm -hmm. in the chat room, which is, uh, what spares did you bring with you? Okay. Well, what I would say, there's, again, there's the, what's it, the P, 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 whatever, piss, piss poor, poor planning, these piss yeah. poor performance anyway, or something. All I would say is if you keep in mind that the TAT is approximately 6,000 miles from coast to coast, um, the, mm. the actual, if you follow the actual route, if you prepare your bike before you leave with, uh, That's new key. chain and sprockets, new brake pads. If your bike's a few years old, check the wheel bearings. You don't have to change them out, but that's an easy thing to do. Basically, if you prep your bike before you go, there's very little things that ought to wear out to the point that they need replacing during the tat. By the time you get to the end of the tat, you'll need a new chain and sprockets and you'll probably need some new brake pads. The only thing that you've really got to con concern yourself with is tires, both a way to repair a puncture and also at some point you're likely to want at least a rear tire, if not a pair of tires around Colorado or perhaps once you get to Utah. And I would recommend certainly changing them yeah, once you get to uh, east, the, you know the, the Colorado, the eastern corner of Colorado, because you've then got fresh grip for the much more technical terrain, getting over the high passes in Colorado and in the sand and the desert around Moab and Utah. And, and there's then, plenty of places that'll yeah. take care of you there. And you just roll in. They know the tat. They're yeah. on the tat. They know the drill. You're on. You're in a hurry, and they'll put you right at the front of the line first thing of the day. Great service, sure. man, and get you in and out of there. Before lunchtime, yeah. For the whole new set I mean, of a lot of these places have the you know the typical tire sizes you want in stock. Maybe not exactly the brand you've got. And if you're precious, and I am a little bit precious with these sorts of things, um, you know, you can always phone ahead a few days and just say, "Look, I want a set of these tires," and they'll have them ready for you. There's also increasingly a number of uh, sort of private rather than businesses along the tack, um, uh, sort of bunkhouse style properties, which are more than happy if you're going to spend an overnight at them. Uh, wow. to use their address for you to ship a, a new set of tires to. And they, and they often have a, a, a barn Spare. or a workshop space yeah. for you to change your tires and things like that. And so it's very much a whole community built up around it. And indeed, there's a very you know busy Facebook page, for example. There's a whole TAC community on Facebook. Yeah, you example. can get instant help if yeah. you have to write all, online. And you got service on, along most of the tat yeah. as well. As far as spares specifically, I only brought one inner tube because I had tubes still. Mm. And uh, I brought one inner, one front inner tube that I could cram into the back if I had to. Mm -hmm. um, and you were tubeless, so you just had the punk. The no, punk. I, I, I did have a, a spare inner tube. What I do, oh, because right. my bike has mm -hmm. 17 and 19-inch wheels, I actually take a 120-size 18-inch tube, which will fit in either wheel for an emergency. But I've always found that typically I get a rear puncture, which is why I now have a tubeless rear wheel on, which on my bike. Yeah, which I did, and I just <laughs> plugged it. And then, as I said, I, I had it plugged and reinflated before you'd gone yeah, to the garage got and got two cans of coke. Yeah. yeah. So, right, no. um, but as far as as spares, so you don't really need spare parts. What mm. you need is stuff with you to keep you moving. Um, I mean, I come from a rally racing. Uh, background where you don't want to load your bike up with because you're never very far away from help on the Trans American yeah, Trail. No, but I mean, you need you need to. Uh, it's very unlikely you're going to break a 
high quality 520 chain, for example. But it, uh, a couple of spare chain links and a length of chain is a good idea, and it, it packs away tiny. Uh, zip ties, duct tape, thread lock, a selection of bolts that fit the various bits on your bike that, you know, whether it's body panels or, or various things that potentially might rattle loose. Um, you can take spare brake and clutch levers. I would say that while you can ride without a front brake, it's very difficult in technical terrain to ride without a clutch. So a clutch lever or some way to keep your clutch activated, even if it's a pair of mole grips or something, uh, is, is, is handy. But yeah, uh, basically just the things that you can repair yourself to get moving because as i say you're not there's no pressure there's no time limit this isn't a race if you as long as you can roll into the next town you can get on the phone you can pop to a local garage you can get anything that's seriously damaged fixed uh, at your leisure and if it means that you know it starts eating into the time you've allowed for the tap well you can just bypass a little section and pick it up a bit a bit later on. short now now you know lighter bikes mm -hmm. tend to have more or less less wear and tear, you know. Things yeah, like I mean, there's tear. a reason that Swan said. I think that the, the KLR is such a popular bike, a, a, a sort of old school dual sport. It's not full of electronics. It's not full of, um, you know, high um, potentially, you know, breakable components. And also, and it's kind of a bit of a. It's not the sort of bike you're going to ride super aggressively a lot of the time. So you're unlikely to end up smashing it up in the first place, really. You know, I mean, if you're on a super duper, you know, I mean, riding something like a. Well, KCMT, you can't you, you can't go fast on the Trans-America yeah. Trail because there's just too many blind turns. It's yeah. dirt roads, rural America, and it's narrow. And yeah, you, you just never can tell what's around that next yeah. corner. I mean, particularly in, in the western side, which we were riding when we were in Oregon and, uh, and in Idaho, you're on a lot of forest trails where you've got, um, you know, as you say, a very foreshortened horizon. You've only got a, maybe 50 yards of, of visibility before the next corner. So, yeah, you've got to ride with caution. And I think you've also got to ride with a sense of self-preservation as well. You don't want to smash your bike up and you don't want to smash yourself. And you up. want to be able to go 12 hours that day or 10 yeah. hours. So you're yeah. just going to ride at that pace that you can sustain day after day after day. Sure. Yeah, that's that's probably yeah, actually that's, uh, yeah, that's, like another good reason you've got there in the background. Yeah. That was uh, nice to yeah. to go with a smaller group, uh, you know, or with just maybe one other person well, I, that that I mean, you're comfortable riding with. Yeah, you know, so well, you don't get competitive. Solo or, you don't solo yeah. or two. I would say would be optimum. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I, I although it's fun to ride in a group. If you're a bunch of buddies that always ride together and stuff, it's a great social thing to do but i think it's a very different dynamic you know and it's it's more about just having a series of, of, of day rides back to back whereas if you're you know if you, if you want to do it as a more of a sort of personal experience because as you said in the introduction the nice thing about the tap route not only does it give you some incredible scenery and some great all-terrain trail jeep trail and 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 some little narrow narrow sections but it's, it's mainly all jeep width trails um to ride but you do get to see that slice of america that you you wouldn't see otherwise you know it, particularly in the east of the country you pass through some you know rural virginia tennessee mississippi these tiny little communities that are all but forgotten and certainly obviously as a lot of people can probably tell i'm not from the u.s originally I'm, I'm from the uk originally and certainly for any international travelers everyone i've spoken to who's come from the uk or from europe to ride the tat over the years has had their eyes open to how life actually is in america compared yeah. to what you see on the tv you people will see the real america yeah. you'll see yeah. real america working we went through in the middle of the covid thing yeah. and the people across the country are just getting through it they're working they're 
trying to keep their businesses open mm-hmm. and, and making a go at it. It's, yeah. it's, it's really neat to see that mm-hmm. and see yep. it from that perspective. Yeah, we know that's another cool thing about the TAT trails like it, you know, and also like the BDR, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, and, and we said this before on, on programs, but, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's one important function of actually getting out there. Not only do you have a much richer understanding of what this country is really like, uh, you know, but you're also supporting those communities out there. Right, sure. right. Uh, you're supporting you know, yeah, the communities that are those. <laughs> it's a tough go out there uh, in some of that rural country yeah and to to be able to support those those small tiny businesses that only have a small window of opportunity to make it or break it each year get out there and support those is just a a a great thing and and the other thing i want to say is the history you're following the history of america the western migration Mm -hmm. and in my the way i saw it i just saw the history of mining all coming all the way across the trans america trail and Mm -hmm. and how well, actually, the mining kind of started here in California in 1849 and, and doubled back. But just incredible, incredible uh, uh, U.S. history along the whole way. Yeah, sure, I yeah. Say, some of these pioneering routes that, 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 as you say, the Santa Fe Trail, when we went, when we got into Kansas, all the famous trails. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we, we ended up in uh, it's Kinsley, isn't it? Which Kinsley. is, yeah, well, we, Midway. we yeah, M- Midway mm-hmm. USA. Now, I never knew that, but it's the exact halfway point between New York and San Francisco, the, you know, <laughs> the exact half halfway point across the whole country there. It's a tiny little town, little farming community, yeah. but they had a wonderful little museum there. They had this lovely old Union Pacific style steam train parked out the front. That you yeah, what's it like to live in a sod house? How yeah. do they sell the planes? How do they live here? It's yeah. just amazing. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's, it's really interesting if you do want to see how the country has evolved over the last yeah, oh, that's yeah. why it takes twelve yeah. hours a day because you do want to stop and see yeah. these little. You yeah. just want you just I, don't I, want to blast. I think you're doing yourself thing. a disservice if all you want to do is look at the trail twelve. You know, six feet either side of your front wheel. I mean, it's it, it's it's challenging in parts, but you're really missing out on what the TAT offers you. I mean, just to give you some examples, if you're riding the whole Trans-America Trail, when I went through Tennessee, it goes past uh, where the Jack Daniels Distillery is in Lynchburg, Tennessee. That's a great, it's got a free visitor center, great thing to go and see. It's not that far from Memphis if you wanna go and check out Memphis, you know. once you get into Colorado, there's, it's not far from Pikes Peak if you wanna ride up Pikes Peak. Uh, you get into Utah, you see Moab, you get to see Promontory Summit, you get to see Bonneville Salt Flats. If you're coming through in the end of August, beginning of September, you're going to go past there during Speed Week. You get to see all these world-class, you know, recent history U.S. things that are just, you know, it's such a treat to see those one after the other. Almost every day you've got something new and exciting other than the trail itself to see. And, and that, I think, is the beauty of, of riding all the way across the country. Sure. Um, it's that it's the way the whole trail opens up. And certainly most people, I mean, the, the, the route was always developed with the intention you start in the east and head west, you know, as, as Swan said, you know, p- part of that following in the pioneering footsteps, perhaps. But also it's, it's a sort of natural evolution of, you know, you warm up on slightly easier and lower elevation trails and then you start, you know, the country unfolds before you. And um, once you certainly once you get to Colorado, for most people, I would say that is a, you know, it's a, uh, it's the highlight of the trip because unless you live close enough to there to ride there regularly, once you've ridden these incredible narrow 
jeep trail passes across at 10 12 even 13,000 13, feet, feet. Yeah. you know it is absolutely jaw-dropping and then once you get into utah you see people think that utah is just one big desert it's got world-class arches national park canyon lands the colorado river this is these incredible i the first time i went to utah and so i thought you know the wily coyote cartoons were it was just the cartoonist to draw these funny rock formations it's there they're there you know <laughs> there's the corner the very corner he flies off exactly. on each episode <laughs> exactly. and if you don't pay attention you'd do the same damn thing yeah yeah so, <laughs> you know it, it is if you've not had the opportunity to see much of the country before now this is such a great way to do it because you're doing it at your own pace you're dictating what you see where you go whether you want to take a break whether you want to bypass something and spend more time with something else and you'll never see any of this on a road no 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 from i mean that's sure. from the interstate yeah. yeah sure now now we have a question from from a viewer here there we go his name is robert mendez what type of wildlife did you experience <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a lot well, of cows. A lot of cows. Yeah, that's the, that's yeah. The bigger hazards. People get concerned about wildlife. That ain't the problem. The problem is the other humans out there. The other <laughs> grandma on the UT on the quad with no helmet coming flying around the corner. Um, yeah, a lot of cows. You got to be respectful of the the ranch lands that you're going to be going across. Keeping the gates open and closed mm -hmm. or and whatever as they were with the way you found them. Yeah. Um. I mean, in the past, I have uh, twice now on two separate occasions when I've been riding the tap. I've seen bears in Colorado and again in in um, Oregon, you know, in the forest. But generally speaking, animals, wild animals are more scared of you. They hear you coming on the bike and they and they they, they run off sort of thing. I mean, I have I did in one trail in, in Oregon, I did come around a corner and there was a big a black bear i guess he was ahead of me on the trail i mean if he'd stood up on his back legs he would have been much taller than i was and i just stopped there and he kind of you know sort of sniffed the air and then just wandered off back into the forest kind of thing so i gave him enough room and and, and that was fine i mean obviously you need to be aware of um baby animals the mothers will tend to be protective of, of those uh, and you'll see you you do sort of see um you know, uh, you'll see elk and moose and, and deer, deer and yeah. antelope. Antelope will want to run alongside yeah. you. Uh, a, a big old elk or a moose could be a real problem in Idaho. Sure. They'll come barging out of the brush, yeah, right in front of you. <laughs> uh, and they're as big as an F three fifty pickup truck, man. Yeah. Just huge. But I would say that as far as animals that potentially could do you harm, as long as you you're careful around camp and and take the precaution of putting any food or anything that that, that smells in a bag and putting it you know away from camp good 50 yards away from where you're sleeping you really shouldn't have any bother and certainly we have no bother with animals around camp whatsoever during this trip yeah very good so i've heard that you know a lot of tat riders they don't mm. they don't carry much uh you know tent or camping equipment because they can plan a route you know which, sure. which will land well, them up again, in hotels and stuff yeah how does that think, change the experience though you know what i mean well like, i did it when i did it in 2015 some of them hotels out west you, you some of them are just as rough as camping i tell you the accommodations of uh, a million star hotel is 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 much finer in many yeah cases. i think you've, you've you've got to yeah i mean both juan and i in good weather i don't like camping in the rain um i don't mind sleeping in a tent because my tent is waterproof but i don't like packing up in the morning when everything's wet but yeah we were very we were blessed this trip because we were there in july we we, we only had one night that we woke up after overnight rain and a couple of days that we got caught in in heavy rain but we dried out and we, we booked into a hotel that, that evening to 
to clear up. But yeah, I mean, increasingly, as I was saying, that because the way the Transamerica Trail has evolved over the years, I mean, originally when it was developed, it was designed very much for for people on small, lightweight dual sport bikes to 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 work their way across the country with a lightweight luggage. And certainly in the last 10 years, with the sort of increasing popularity of larger adventure bikes, people end up taking more and more equipment with them. And, you know, that can hamper you on some of the more technical trails. So there are options now to take a slightly easier route. And if you are the sort of person that either wants to enjoy a hotel every night or wants to take a very lightweight dual sport bike and not loaded up with luggage it's perfectly feasible to find a hotel probably every couple of hundred miles and if you get the official maps and gps tracks from san carrero he marks all of that information on his information pack that he gives you suitable places to stop overnight recommendations and again as i say there's now with the advent of social media particularly over the last 10 years as the you know, there's a lot more people who are aware of the tap now, and there's a lot more people sharing their experience. So you can actually, you know, people say, oh, this is a great little hotel, or no, that isn't a great hotel, try the one up the road, etc, etc. So I think there's a there's a lot of resource there. But at the same time, I would always say, don't over plan it. You know, you've, you've been given a suggested route. And if you want to follow it by all means, as close to perfect as you can, then do that. And I, that's what I did in 2015. But at the same time, uh, even Sam Carrera will tell you it's impossible to ride the whole tap route inch perfect. Inevitably, something will happen. There'll be a flood. There'll be a road closure. There'll be a landslide. There'll be poor weather. You'll have to deviate. You might have a problem with your bike or for whatever reason. So don't get hung up on following it exactly. Follow it as much of it as you want to, but use it to base to have your own adventure. And similarly with, um, you know, the so the amount of stuff you take, if you want to, you know, to take it easy, you will have to deviate from the main tat route if you want to go and stay in a hotel every night. Um, and I would always say, if you take a basic camp, just a sleeping bag and a little lightweight tent, because there was a couple of times when I when I've done it solo in the past where I thought I'm not even going to try and find a hotel tonight. As you said, this is the spot I want to wake up in the morning. I've got a little coffee pot to brew myself some coffee. I had some uh, granola bars for breakfast, and that was fine. And then once I got into the next town, I stopped and had a diner breakfast and and did it that way. So to be able to mix it up is and have that flexibility yeah. gives you the best i think flexibility the, most, yeah. the key to indecision flexibility uh if you had to get a hotel every night you got that constant kind of worry of getting that room you know yeah. and yeah. I, your whole yeah. afternoon is spent oh, i gotta go find a room yeah, where yeah. It yeah. And, yeah. If some, and if unfortunately you either hurt yourself or you do break the bike and you can't immediately get yourself going again uh, you know i have unfortunately spent the night one night out in the sierra nevada mountains under a space blanket and i don't recommend it to anybody except <laughs> you got your camping gear with you you yeah, don't care if you exactly you just set up and yeah. uh, it is what it's true what they say everything is better in the morning you get a good night's sleep you feel much more energized to be yeah exactly. wow well that's I mean, that's some that's some that's some first class advice and i can tell uh, you know, it, it comes from straight up experience. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, we have the questions here, which is uh, from sure. the audience. Well, there's there's a couple, but Paul Silva asks, "So, what is the next ride you ponder?" In other words, you know, like what do you guys? Yeah, think hey, about Paul, how you doing? Thanks for checking in. We're able to find the link. Okay, first up, I think we're going to go do the Giant Loop uh, Hot Springs. Hot weekend. Springs, yeah. yeah. Was it Crystal Crane Hot Springs in Oregon? And we'll probably. Yeah, we spent a week going up there. It's it's uh, again Giant Loop, uh, the luggage company. They they host an annual kind of ride meeting in in, in Oregon, you know, in their local in their backyard, uh, with a whole network of trails, and people come from quite a far distance apart. So we'll spend you know 
three or four days going up there, spend the weekend socializing and then and then a couple of days getting home again. So spend a week doing that and explore some of Northern California and Oregon. Because every time we go up there, and we do go that way quite regularly, we always try and pick a, a new route and join together some little bits that maybe we had to forfeit the time before and so on. And we've also talked about uh, Montana and Wyoming. Yeah. Put some more Montana and Wyoming together. Yeah. So I mean, I, those are amazing states. Yeah. A yeah. cu- couple of years ago, yeah. I, w- I went up there in 2018 and had just, it's, again, a lot of people, the Trans-America Trail goes through the, the middle, the heart of the United States, and it does pick up on some of the best, without a doubt, adventure and dual sport riding areas. But equally, I think people, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, the area around Black Hills is just epic because again it's that great mix of will a sense of wilderness you can it, you can be as away from people or you can dip into towns if you wish to you know you've got that choice that's the beauty about traveling i find in the united states is that you can stay away from people if that's what you want to do but if you come across a problem or you just want a night in a hotel or a, a, a restaurant cooked meal it's easy enough to 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 find civilization again um and also particularly as to say you've got again some of these world-class geographic and historical landmarks you know i mean that area around the black hills um deadwood and mount rushmore and all of that kind of stuff you know for but for the tourist in me that was just amazing to see that stuff and to ride trails in between doing those things and devil's tower in wyoming what a great you know the, the close yeah. encounters tower oh, yeah. fabulous yeah. thing to see in real life you know i've only ever seen it in a movie or on tv so to actually witness this stuff and to work your way across country to to see these things is is what it's all about really for us so yeah well, definitely montana and wyoming i i'd say i've cataloged some trails there and i really want to go up there with juan and and just because obviously i tend to travel on my own so i tend to police myself reasonably well with not getting myself into too much trouble but obviously having a buddy with you and this is what you were saying about riding the tat there is safety in at least having one other with you i mean not only because one of the greatest things is to say nudge each other and say wow look at that view. yeah you know you can say that to yourself you can take a picture you can post it on social media but it's not the same as actually sharing that moment with somebody else so mm-hmm. i think that you know that's handy and if you are going to start riding away from the main trail route and you don't necessarily know what's around the corner i mean both of us as i say are pretty experienced all-terrain riders we you know we can handle ourselves and our bikes but it's still i mean a couple of times when i i dropped my bike on this trip it was great to have an extra pair of hands to help you pick it back up so you're not sure. exhausting yourself because it's all right once but do it three or four times within an hour and Ooh. suddenly you Imagine. are exhausted yeah <laughs> sure. and, um so you know keep that in mind but I, I wouldn't say don't do it solo because for a lot of people riding a motorcycle is a very solitary it's it's their helmet time it's their space away from the rest of the world and certainly when i've ridden the tat twice on my own it's been one of the most you know enjoyable experiences because you do get into that sense of self-reliance you know and and you do realize how how capable you are and how lucky you are you know i mean and you meet a lot of people that way too you do i mean that's when you're by yourself you meet a lot of people Mm-hmm. almost always and there's always someone yeah. willing to to lend a hand i mean i have one one example when i rode the tap the first time in 2008 on that yamaha i was in new mexico and i stopped for a photograph took a uh took a photograph and then i looked at the bike and the rear tire was flat and i thought 
and I'd picked up a nail just on the one paved section of this otherwise 50 miles of dirt. And I tried to break the tire, I took the wheel off, I was stamping on it, I was trying to break the bead, couldn't get the tire off. And a guy in a pickup truck, swearing kicked, I was swearing at it. And this guy pulls up, you know, after about 15 minutes, pulls up in a pickup and says, hey, can I help? Are you okay? I said, well, not really, I can't get my tire off. And he said, well, I can't help you myself, I'm going into town, which was 50 miles away. But he said, if you go down the hill, turn left, that's my farm, in the barn there's a tire machine help yourself. If you've got a problem, there'll be somebody in the yard who can help you. And that was just, you know, the kindness of strangers is one example of kindness of strangers. So you get that. And certainly if you feel that it's going to be a bit lonely eating in a restaurant or staying in a motel overnight, there's always someone to talk to if you want to. But conversely, if you do want that solitude, you've got that as well. It's a, it's a very freeing experience way to travel. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And it builds yeah. a ton of confidence. So you've got all these awesome routes amazing things to see uh mm. a a a country to explore that many of us have been across but never really seen it and you know uh, all this is great possible content uh, mm. you got any hints or tips on recording this stuff and ah, sharing it if, if that's what you would like to do yeah yeah um you almost got to decide ahead of time do you want to make a movie or do you want to have this ride and just enjoy the ride mm. uh because if you're going to make a movie that's all kind of change that's a whole separate thing that's a full-time job right now there then so what i did on this ride that worked out pretty well well with social media it's really easy now to just take pictures and clips and share that at the end of the day that's fantastic i tried this experimental micro vlogging concept on this ride so i just use this cell phone that we're rec recording on right now a cell phone a gopro camera and it, the new Mavic Mini drone. A lot of people ask, should I take a drone on the Trans-America Trail? Well, a lot of times you won't barely even use the yeah. drone. You use it the first couple of days and then it just stays in your luggage. Yeah. yeah. But the new Mavic Mini drone is small enough where it fits in your pocket. And I and I could spend a little bit of time at some of these locations. Mm -hmm. We're showing some of that footage now where it was worth popping it up into the air and grabbing some spectacular shots, especially when there's two of them. You can show one person going down the trail in this amazing scenery. So the Mavic Mini uh, drone worked great for that. And the key to all of that was a little dongle that attaches to the uh, jack of your cell phone. So at the end of the day, and this takes time from your experience to, to grab all these different pieces of film from the GoPro, from the drone, and from the cell phone. And then on the cell phone itself, using the editor on the cell phone itself, quickly mash together uh, a, a, a little vignette of highlights of the day and with some pre-selected background music that you've already stored on the phone and a couple of graphics at the beginning of the end, you can make a slick, a really slick little sure. production without eating too much of your time into your trip and then when you get into a range you 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 post it and you just as you ride along you'll come in and out of uh, what i call radar range and it'll it'll upload and be available for folks to view in almost real time so you can give almost real time daily or a couple day updates on your progress using this micro vlogging technique with just a cell phone, a GoPro, and a little tiny drone. Yeah. But as you wow. say, that, I think the reason it worked, and even then, you were probably spending a couple of hours, yeah. an hour and a half, two hours a day when you were editing it. I mean, Quang gets up at the you know first light and That's he's right. there in his tent editing the video while I'm making breakfast mm -hmm. and stuff. And um, as, as you said, I think that's the problem what a lot of people don't fully appreciate is that if you're going to make a 
a watchable film other than for your own amusement you do have to keep in mind the kind of shots that you want and some stuff will need to be set up you'll need to put a camera in position and then go and ride it twice and all of this can can break the flow the natural flow of the trip so if you want to set out to make a movie do it because it's a I mean, it's you've just got every day. You've just got incredible content yes. to film. But be aware that your trip is going to take longer. And if you're riding with other people, they may not share your passion, shall we say, <laughs> for for video recording. As I say, I'm a still photographer. Plans the videographer. So together, we we could actually comp the, the the stuff we were doing as we were doing this complemented one another. Oh, and it works we, together. You know, and and I, you know, I because I was familiar with a lot of the trail that we'd we'd be riding the sections that Juan hadn't ridden before. I would say to him, "Yeah, there's a good bit up here. I think you might fancy that." And he could either say, "Yep, yeah, I definitely want that," or "No, I don't need that. I've got something else in mind." So you know that worked very well as well. But yeah, this 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 modern lightweight technology, and we both have USB chargers on our bikes as well, and all of this equipment charges off oh, five volt USB yep. now. That's right. You know, so you don't have to have power banks and all of this stuff. You don't even need to stay in a motel overnight to charge that's everything right. up. I mean, occasionally we would, but that tended to coincide with wanting to use a laundry or or just wanting a you know a decent shower and so on. But yeah, you can actually keep this equipment charged as you're riding along, um, and it and again, it's just it'll probably take a few two or three days to get into the routine but once you've done that it can be it doesn't encroach too much on your enjoyment sure. cool all right, all right we have a uh, let's do just a, a couple more mm -hmm. questions and wrap it up but uh robert mendez uh asked a question again uh to juan do you ever do you plan on ever taking any of the younger browns on this <laughs> I saw journey? That, Robert. hey thanks for checking in yeah so i'm trying to get pete trained up to be a good trail rider at a young age and that's something about you're saying how'd you get into motorcycling as a kid i grew up in a family that hated motorcycles so we had to hide them all the time as a result my brother got seriously injured in a motorcycle crash because he was just in a completely inappropriate riding in a bike. So I want to take my kids and mm -hmm. kind of show them how to do it right. And hopefully if they get good enough, they can tag along, sure. you know, at a young age. I mean, already you're very lucky where you live. You've got this huge network of OHB single track trails out of the back of your garden, literally. So the kids have got great opportunity to go practice and, and ride with their buddies and things. And, and start with balance and yeah. trail riding yeah. and, and, and being outdoors and being outdoors a lot. Yeah. And appreciating. <laughs> Hot and cold know. and not whining about it. Yeah. Appreciating it outdoors and also learning to respect it as well. I mean, one of the things that I noticed having ridden the tap over the last dozen years or not, certain sections have started to get a lot of additional use from rental, I would say four-wheel mm. vehicles, the side-by-sides, the razors, that kind of vehicle. Um, and, and you touched on it earlier. Obviously, a lot of these small tourist communities have a very short uh, window, uh, you know, to, 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 to get their tourist dollars in each year. So you can see why they're doing it. But you can see also why the TAP route has changed over the years, because some trails that were that I rode in 2008, 2009 are no longer part of the TAP simply because for a lot of riders, it wouldn't be enjoyable. It will take all of your strength and resolve and a bit of luck to get a, a typical tap bike, like the bikes that you know wear on, over that kind of terrain. So, as I say, the whole point is you're meant to enjoy this trip. It's not meant to be some kind of marathon endurance ride that you may or may not finish. Sam Carrero wants you to get to the West Coast. He wants you to experience every mile of the tap or as many miles as you wish to. We got a question from, I think it's Harold here. Harold, you're here, I hope. This trip, <laughs> I want to give a plug for Harold and his equipment, uh, a giant loop moto. Uh, that's the luggage we use that makes this kind of riding possible. There's 
there's no issues at all with your luggage with all the stuff the giant repairs. We, I ran a Cisco set of panniers. You ran a, a Kylie, a Kylie bag, yeah. and some other of his products, and it just makes it. I mean, awesome. people did laugh because you did obviously. I stopped. Well, I were on the same bike. Uh-huh. We, you know, that I had just literally 39 liters of luggage. He probably had 89 liters of luggage. And that's what I mean. Is, you know, at the end of the day, you, this is, I think the best thing as you said was, was take a weekend practicing. Maybe go off for a week. If you're going to ride with buddies, ride with them to see how you get on over a period of time. Shake everything down before you try and attempt a, a month long. But what Harold was asking was yeah. budget. What do you think about budget? A hundred bucks a day? A hundred fifty bucks a day? It depends. People. But it's thirty days, three thousand bucks. Uh, people spend three thousand bucks between two and four thousand dollars. Okay. To do it, depending on whether you want to stay in hotels the majority of the time or you want to camp, you can probably do it for less than, than that. If you were literally camping at the side of the trail and just eating granola bars out of gas stations, we're getting eighty miles to the gallon yeah, on these well, things. We spent sixty-five. What did we spend? Like three hundred bucks in gas for the whole thing, man. Uh, you yeah. take one of these airplanes, you're going to burn it, just going to go and get a hamburger in one afternoon. <laughs> that just floored me, how little gas we use. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the frequently asked questions on the tap page are, how long does it take? How much does it cost? And I would say, yeah, allow at least 30 days to get the most from it. If you've got less time, you're going to have to streamline certain sections of it. If you've got more time, that's great because you can spend don't have to get on the bike every single day. Um, it will cost you typically between two and four thousand dollars, realistically, I would say, um, to cover all your expenses. That does include the bike or any pre-trip prep, just you know, running expenses. But treat it, you know, for most people, this is uh, a holiday. You know, this is an expense. Once in a lifetime yeah, deal, man. You know, so and people usually spend that kind of money going away to a foreign country on a, you know, on a, on a holiday. For, for two weeks, never mind a month. So actually, if you if you consider it, put the prep in, and uh, you know, and, and treat it as a, as you say, as that once in a lifetime uh, type event. I think you'll you know enjoy it. Trying to do it on too much of a budget or in too short a time is, you know, that's when people get disappointed. I think you know, but it is as I say, the bigger it's got now over the years, I do appreciate that most people. So you do the whole thing in one hit these days. But there's nothing to stop you doing half and then doing half the following yeah. year, or or you know a bit a little bit later in the season, or or so on. Awesome, awesome. And uh, last but not least, man, there've been a bunch of questions. Good stuff. Any words of advice or, or inspiration for future adventure riders? This is one of our this is one of our key questions. Do it, man. Just get just go overnight. Just go overnight. Even if you just leave late in the afternoon and go a few miles up to camp and and uh, just start from there. Just do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. You touched on it earlier. I think, you know, people, particularly online these days on social media, everyone's obsessing about what's the best bike? What are the best tires? What luggage should I use? How this and that and so on. And actually, if you think about it, you know, as you said, when you were riding bikes, when you started riding bikes, you just jumped on a bike and you and you went somewhere. And if you had a problem, you dealt with it. And I think you can still have that attitude I mean, don't, don't be blasé about it, you know, be prepared, but at the same time, don't feel that any of this sort of thing is, is unattainable. Just don't yeah, jump too, you know, don't, d- don't take on too much too soon, if, particularly if you're a novice to all-terrain riding. I mean, both of us have many, many years off-road, uh, 
experienced so we can translate that and we and we know fundamentally because we all both do long distance multi-day trips multi-week trips we know how to pace ourselves without burning ourselves out by the end of each day that's the worst thing is is people go in too hard too fast build and, up to it and, and then, then they have to pull out early um and again that's why i would say it's, it's, it's the racing the mentality it's, it's a marathon not a sprint the more yeah. off-road experience you can get just pure dirt riding if you can handle really gnarly uh, single track trails this adventure riding will be a piece of cake to you so sure. the more off dirt road experience you can, we've met a lot of folks on the tat this was their first time off-road oh, that one day <laughs> has this bike been inverted before <laughs> Completely, yeah, completely. <laughs> F-16 retired pilot, man. He could do it all. <laughs> we met these three guys in a, a 10,000 feet in the middle of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Utah. Utah. Yeah. And this guy had bought, he'd, he'd only done his test three weeks beforehand. His motorcycle test. But, yeah. yeah. Bought a KLR, joined his buddies and were riding, riding the tap. And they'd got as far as Utah. And he'd been, like he said, the first day he'd been in a ditch with the bike completely upside down. They'd had to winch it out. They'd had crashes there were broken headlights broken screens and it's fun and no nobody died and that's great but as i say a little bit of practice and a little bit of preparation beforehand you you will have so many experiences you don't need the bike to be the center of your trip you need the trip itself yeah. it's what you experience is is the key to the tap what you do it on is very much secondary and certainly the first few days you start riding you'll 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 forget about whatever tires you chose or whatever oil you use something reliable yeah. something simple and reliable and comfortable yeah there you go there you go. all right thanks very much guys please uh, stick around if you would like to Thank for you. some some post-show chat and, and banter um but uh let's close out the show and uh thanks thanks once again uh also Thank thanks, to, thanks to everyone in, in the audience that uh asked some fantastic questions well all right it was absolutely awesome for jenny and juan to share their hard-earned uh, experiences and knowledge with us tonight i mean that what a what a what a wealth of knowledge uh and also good passionate energy uh on on what this is really about um you know i mean the gear and everything that all really helps, um, you know, it can shape time and, and, and uh, it can reduce stress, but a lot of adventure uh, is in the heart and what you experience and what you choose to experience. And although I have a feeling we'll be hearing more from them in the future, be sure to check out uh, their uh, adventures at Blanco Lirio on YouTube. Uh, and uh, also we will have some links to a couple of their videos that we talked about here in the description. In the meantime, uh, please join us next week uh, for ADV Moto Pod with your host, host Nathan Slabaugh talking about a common adventure problem, and that is getting sidetracked, featuring a photographer named Mark Wallace, uh, who I believe is now stuck in Argentina. And then join us two weeks from now on Thursday, September 17th, for the next installment of ADV Moto Live, featuring Pete and Ashley from Moscow Moto. We will talk about the Moscow story, story how they're dealing with the COVID life, and uh, what uh, is to come from one of the most exciting and innovative companies in ADV. As always, your support means a lot and keeps the motorcycle world running. Please don't forget to like and subscribe our channel. Visit AdventureMotorcycle.com for more news, reviews, videos, podcasts, merch, and more. Until next time, everyone, ride safe, have fun. Wow.